Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! Welcome to Sports on a Sunday Morning. America's Sports Voice, KMOX. 11.06, welcome back to the show. Good to be along with you. Great hour there with Cardinals manager Mike Schilt. Always appreciate him joining us. And now we shift over. This is my guest from the Garage Happy Hour. What is that? It happens every Thursday at 5.30 from my garage. I have a drink, and the person on the split screen also has a drink. In this case, he had a kombucha. What is a kombucha? Well, he'll explain. And that's coming up right now. This is Sterling K. Brown, the St. Louisan, the actor, and I introduced him this way. By the way, this is two-time Emmy Award winning, Golden Globe winning, host of Saturday Night Live, superstar actor in Hollywood, Sterling K. Brown, who actually went to high school with me. So I was thinking about it today. You know, the last time that I really broadcast something that you did, I was probably saying something like, Kelby Brown, the ball carrier, gain of time, <laughs> runs over two tacklers, first down, country day. That's Is that about right. Like that? Yeah, man. Listen, and I got to tell you, so the faculty advisor for you was Mr. Grimler, right? Yeah. We had a, our English teacher at St. Louis Country Day, Mary Institute, now in my CDS, Charles Grimley, that's hence retired, but a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And he let you in the booth, and you... He just sort of took you under his wing, and you guys, you were doing it for years. Like, before you were doing it professionally, you did it for years, middle school, upper school, et cetera. So you were gone one time. I don't know if I even told you the story. And Mr. I was like, Mr. Grimley, can I do, like, the C-team football game, right? And he's like, you can't get too excited. I was like, I won't. I promise I'll keep it cool. And I'm telling you, man, like somebody like ran and scored a touchdown and I'm screaming my mind out. He's like, that's it. He pulls the mic away from me. He's like, that's it. You're done. You're done. <laughs> well, you get, you're excited. And, and he was, like you said, seventh grade English teacher, also scoreboard operator. How lucky to have, as I'm trying to become this broadcaster, didn't realize at the time, that's, of course, as a kid, that's what I wanted to be. But I didn't realize at the time that, that would be the springboard. And here's yeah. my teacher sitting on my right, correcting my grammar. So one day I said, Country Day has the ball on their 20, first down. And he's like, I'm like, what? what? I said, Tommy, oh, you're a cowboy. Tommy, is Country Day plural? And I said, no. And he goes, then why do you say there? It, it's, it's 20. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think about it all the time. I'm still, when I'm doing a game or doing a sports cast, I think it's there. Yeah. Northern Iowa taking the ball out on its own baseline. Yeah, no, no. It's a, it's a real point because that whole singular plural, because you're using a singular word that represents a plural. Yeah, I got you. I got he was you. the best, and we had a great time up there. And you were, you were a heck of a player. You were running back. I was uh, running back and inside the linebacker, and it was – 
the day that I took off the pads, I remembered, I said, I may never get a chance to wear these things again. And I cried. Like, we made it to the state tournament, but we didn't make it to the final. And we lost to, was it Mount Vernon? Something yeah, like right. that. Yeah, and it was, oh, we all just sat in that locker room and cried our eyes out because folks expected a lot of us. We thought we were going to make it to state. We had a lot of talented people. It didn't happen, but it was still one of the best times of my life. And even if you don't play the sport, the, the gifts that you get from being a part of a team sport, learning what it's like to, like, sacrifice for other people, that you have to do your part in order for the whole thing to work. It reminded me a lot of, I'm sure, like everybody else in the world, you watched The Last Dance. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Like, you give each other a bunch of crap, right? But it's to further each other, to lift up your game to the highest level possible. That's right. Uh, and that game against Mount Vernon, by the way, I went to the game and a bunch of us road tripped. Now, I don't know if our parents even... Uh, today, there's no way I would I would allow this to happen. I wouldn't allow my kids to do this. But we actually road tripped, got a hotel room, and saw your game in Mount Vernon. Did you? Guy Rao, who, by the way, is right here on this screen, said, I'm just here for the part where SK is yeah! about to cry on cue. You can teach me how to do that. But he was there with me. Jason Stevenson was was in that on that trip who went to Stanford with you. Yeah. A bunch of us were on that trip. We went to that game. I can't yeah. believe that. You just reminded me of that. That's crazy, man. Crazy. That was it. Was fun. We had, we had some fun back then, but it was um, good times. It was so. You, I'm trying to now. You changed to Sterling right around the end of your high school because I did call those games from public address, and I did say Sterling Brown, uh, and that was a tribute to your father. You tribute and I have that. that in common in that uh, our fathers died when we were young. You at ten, yeah. me at uh, seventeen. Yeah. And both um, play big influences in our careers to, to this day, right? Huge influence. So it was sophomore year when I was starting to ask people to make the transition. And it takes people a little bit of time when they're accustomed to calling you one thing and now you want them to call you something else. But I do remember I got this article in the Post-Dispatch <clears throat> because senior year, I against Burroughs, we won the big game. And I think we won the big game. Like, it went back and forth. Senior year, we won. Junior year, we lost. Sophomore year, we won. Freshman year, we lost. And so I had two intercept. I had two uh, sacks and an interception for a touchdown senior year. And the article, the headline of the article is, Brown is Sterling for MICDS. And that was pretty cool. We would all go back. After the game was over, we went back to Jason Brower's house. Who at the time lived behind John Burroughs, right? right. Burroughs has since bought the land and like expanded there, trying to keep up with us, but they never they never will tell me. <laughs> we went back and we would watch like all of the footage of the game. Mackey had scored a touch, Alex Mackey, a classmate yep. of mine, different people, and it was just such a joy. It's, you want to go out winning that game, right? It's yeah. still like the biggest rivalry in the ABC League, what have you. And it was great to have done it and to have made a contribution to that victory and have my name, Sterling, in the paper. So cool. And yeah. uh, what a time that was, really. I mean, spending time in St. Louis and you, know, you grew up in Olivet. In fact, I saw your production company that you started a couple of years ago, named Indian Meadows. Is that after the street that you lived on? 
That's after the neighborhood, man. Like, I, it's called Indian Meadows. All the street names are of, like, Native American tribes. And I grew up on Huron Avenue. But the neighborhood was such a big part of my life, this really working-class neighborhood in the middle of the Leduc School District that got us access to a really wonderful education. I went to Spady. You still with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, just making sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I went to Spady <laughs> from kindergarten to, to fifth grade, and then my mom was a school teacher at Ladue, and she thought it was a really wonderful school, but there was something else that she wanted me to experience in life and made the decision. She sent me to Country Day in the sixth grade, and I went sort of kicking and screaming, and it turned out to be one of the best experiences of my life. Like, I, I don't think I would have become an actor if I didn't go to Country Day. There was something really wonderful about being a jock, but not having that be a stigma, being a theater geek, but not being ridiculed for that, being a nerd, but we were all kind of nerds. So you know what I'm saying? So like yeah. a lot of other places where you could have been stigmatized or made to feel ashamed of all of these interests that you had, they were really supported and um, just encouraged while we were at school. And what <laughs> did you get the acting bug? I mean, when did you know that that's what you wanted to do? You know, I didn't change the major until sophomore year of college, right? I went as an economics major. And I had an internship at the Federal Reserve Bank downtown at home and did that for two summers from, from Stanford. And I was kind of bored to tears because making money and learning the inner workings of money wasn't as exciting as I thought it was supposed to be. But anytime I was on stage, life was awesome. So I did my first play. At school, freshman year, it was Godspell, you know, the Troubadours production that we do every Thanksgiving weekend. And I can remember doing that. Five freshmen were in it. Uh, and uh, my buddy, Michael Hogan, who you know, yep. who is still an actor, uh, the same as, as myself. I remember we, would, we got standing ovations all three nights. <clears throat> and there was at one point in time, we took a bow on stage while the crowd was cheering. And I'm not going to curse because I know this is a wide thing, but we, we said under our breath, like, we got to keep doing this. S-H-I-T. And it was like this high, like a high that I'd only experienced on the athletic field. But now I was like, here's this arena where I get this live call and response with the audience. And I can tell when they're with me and I can tell when they're not with me. And their energy feeds my energy. And I don't have to get hit at the same time. And so it was something that just kept calling me back and back. And we had a wonderful drama teacher named Milton Zoth. Great guy. Who took such great man took such an interest in his students and had a real care for storytelling, and so he was one of the first people that sort of treated us like an adult, and like our opinions mattered in a way that sometimes it didn't always feel as if they mattered inside of other classrooms, and it was it was it was a high that you kept chasing, and you didn't feel like it was a prudent thing to pursue. But then when you threw prudence out the window and just realized that this is the thing that I love, prudence didn't matter anymore, bro. You just have to follow your heart. And uh, follow it, you did. And, you know, that was the thing is you, you've been in so much. I mean, of course, doing the animations and being on an incredible show like This Is Us and so many television productions and, and film. The theater is something that definitely has stuck with you. And that was, that was something that really stayed with you from the beginning in fact in back going back to what oh two you were yeah. in the theater at a very high level 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I went to NYU, uh, which is one of the top graduate school, you know, acting programs in the country and had a wonderful experience and lived in New York for another five years after I finished. Went around the country doing regional theater in Minneapolis and the Bay Area, at Yale, et cetera, et cetera. And then opportunities started to happen in front of the camera. But I, I do feel like a, the best foundation for a career in acting is stage training. There's a musculature that's required of it, um, physicality that is exciting. And I liken it to athletics, really. Like when I first started doing it, a lot of my more artistic friends would get mad at me because I would call intermission halftime. Um, and I would, call, <laughs> I would call curtain game time. Like and those butterflies you felt were the same butterflies you felt right before you were, were, you, you were going to take the gridiron or the basketball court or whatever it was. Like I was excited to play. And I'm still excited to play. There's something awesome about that live audience. By the way, thank you for everybody for joining us here. We have... Sterling K. Brown, if you're just joining us, uh, this is my garage, by the way. Welcome to my garage. Uh, here, <laughs> That's good. Sponsored by Overhead Door Company. Appropriate. Overhead Door Company of St. Louis, you see right behind us. Uh, I do want to mention the sponsor. It's very important. And the fact that they said for $79.95, they'll do a maintenance plan. If you mention the garage happy hour that you saw me talking about it, boom, $79.95 yeah. for the maintenance. And here's one other thing is that here's another MICDS connection. So while we're doing the happy hour, I'm having a, a little Defiance whiskey. This is Daniel Fort from ah. MICDS. The St. Louisan himself has uh, developed this, and his family developed this great uh, company, Defiance Whiskey. So I'm sipping on that while we're talking. Okay, so here's mine because it's still a little bit earlier. Out yeah. Pacific. So not to violate the spirit of it, no, I, I have a kombucha. Perfect. So there's a little bit of culture underneath here. And my mom, actually, who doesn't drink at all, had a kombucha and started, like, standing on top of the kitchen table because it had enough alcohol to get her buzzed. I was like, gee whiz. It, <laughs> it does have a little alcohol in there. It does indeed. Yeah, we're just having a little drink here in my garage, so I appreciate that. You, know, you, you went from Saturday Night Live to Live in My Garage. What was that like? Not to skip around too much, but man, I was like, it was incredible to see a friend on stage at Saturday Night Live. And you've done so much, but that is such a an iconic program and moment. It's it's a defining thing. You could see Eddie Murphy do it recently, and how much sure. it meant to him to be back there. What was that like for you? Uh, it's magic, bro. I mean, we all grew up watching the show for such a long time. Um, and I never thought it was actually going to happen. So, and, it, and this was the long play because for a long time, SNL was really just having people who were coming from film and promoting their films that were coming out. And I was like, well, I don't have a big film coming out. I'm, I'm in Black Panther, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm far from being the star of Black Panther. I got a TV show, but, like, they're not usually taking people from the world of TV. And he's like, my, my publicist was talking to the people at SNL, the bookers, and he's like, well, let's just wait and see. So it, it wound up happening. He calls me up on the phone, and like, SNL has a spot for you. They're curious to see if you want to do it. I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Um, in a heartbeat. Like, I was out there. It's, it's a surreal sort of process, bro, because the week goes... 
like that. But the first part of the week, everybody, all the writers, all the actors pitch you their ideas for things that they think would be funny. And you all go into Lauren's office and it's crammed in with 50 people sitting on the floor, sitting on the desk, etc. And they're giving you your ideas and you're like, okay, okay, okay. So then you go meet with the writers and they sort of further flesh out their ideas. You tell them the ones that you're most interested in, the ones that are less interesting. And then they have a table read on Wednesday where I read 38 scenes, right? 38 scenes over the course of four and a half hours. And each one of these writers is like trying to get their stuff on the air. So you try to give it your all for each one. And at the end of it, you're exhausted. <clears throat> then you go talk to Lauren and you go through what your top 12 scenes are. Then you start rehearsing them. Then you have a dress rehearsal on Saturday and you do all 12 scenes. Then you have like another hour where you cut three more scenes. So you only do nine total for the whole show, right? And then you go out and do it. And here's the thing. Like people were asking me, were you nervous? Were you like scared? I, I said, it, it went so fast. Like you, the secret of the show is you don't have time to be nervous. Like you really just have time to show up and move on to the next thing. It was, it was awesome. I, I hope I get a chance to do it again. The cast was great. The experience was uh, once in a lifetime. That's amazing. And think of the contrast when you're talking about making a film and the patience and time and repetition and how much of a production that is. Television also. Yeah. But, uh, what a contrast that is. You mentioned Black Panther. Were you floored by the response early on and how much that skyrocketed? It was amazing. It, it was amazing. The response to it was, I don't think, I think we all knew we had a good movie. I think we knew that Ryan Coogler was a special storyteller as, as a director. Um, but, you know, we, the story had been for such a long time that it's hard for things to sell internationally when African-American faces are front and center. And it just goes to show you the power of a story well told and that there is something very universal about being culturally specific. And everybody can see themselves in the story, even if they don't look like the people on the screen. I think it's something that communities of color have been asked to do throughout the ages. And now we're asking the mainstream to do the same. Um, it was phenomenal. The, the premiere of Black Panther, the audience was standing up on its feet before the movie even showed. And there was just so many people of color out there that were hungry to see themselves in the MCU, you know, to see like, yeah. this is this one is for us. And then when the movie came on and they were excited and they were laughing at the jokes and they understood sort of like the larger concept of globalism versus nationalism, like I, I could not have been prouder to be a part of it. And it almost didn't happen because I had to shoot This Is Us and Black Panther at the same time. So I'd fly back and forth between LA and Atlanta to squeeze in just the little bit that I was in. But I'm so thankful that I, I not only got a chance to be a part of a great part of, of art, artistry, but a part of history. And then you became a, a part of history uh, as well with the Golden Globes. I mean, uh, to win a Golden Globe and to be the first African-American to win lead actor in a drama series in the history of that award is, historic isn't it but, crazy dude i mean it's, it's kind of crazy 
it, it, it is, uh, it has to be maybe, I don't know if you do this or not, but advancing yourself, looking too far down the road, but to think back that you'll look back and, and know that you were a part of history has to be still a surreal feeling. It's, it absolutely is. And at the time when I won, it was the 75th year of the Golden Globes. And I, it sort of like struck me as odd that like firsts like this are still happening 75 years into an organization. I can see, wait, where is it? If I can find it, I'd bring, hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to, uh-oh, I have a feeling we're about to see some hardware here. And this here is, we go. Yeah, oh, oh wow. So here's the gold right here. Uh, best performance by an actor in a television uh, series drama, Sterling K. Brown, this is uh, 2017 Hollywood Forum Press. Like it's, I, I, you know, you feel like firsts are for Jackie, people named Jackie and people named Martin or Malcolm or whoever they are, not necessarily for people named Sterling, right? And so I consider myself incredibly privileged. I'm part of a great show um, that really just touches people's emotions in a really um, profound way because I feel like these United States are becoming a bit more separated as time goes by. But I feel like our show, for some reason or another, has this wonderful ability to sort of like bring people together and find common ground. So I look at it as a gift for uh, my performance as well as the storytellers and the story that we are telling. Um, but every time I look at it, I'm like, I'll be, I'll be damned. That that actually happened. <laughs> that is Sterling K. Brown with me in my garage happy hour holding his Golden Globe. It all started out at Country Day, MICDS. Guy was a good running back, James. He was a good running back, inside linebacker. He could have been a college football player. And at some point during high school, he got bit by the theater bug. He became an actor. It was a good career choice. He is a two-time Emmy Award winning, Golden Globe winning, four-time SAG After Award winning Sterling K. Brown, and you are just hearing the beginning of him. 44 years old, he's got a huge career ahead of him, and he is a St. Louisan. Big uh, thanks to him for joining me on the Garage Happy. You can see that entire interview, if you want, at the Facebook page for KMOX News and KMOX Sports. A couple of things to mention. Coming up June 12th, he'll be back for another Netflix. He does animation, so he's the voice of a character in Kipo in the Age of Wonder Beasts, and he's also one of the voices of Frozen 2. And a docuseries called Into the Unknown, The Making of Frozen 2 will be on Disney Plus starting on June 26th. Sterling K. Brown. We'll be back with John Mosellock, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, next. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah. America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Sterling K. Brown, you know, I feel kind of silly later in that interview asking him about uh, if he had a bobblehead. You know, like the guy has a Golden Globe and all these Emmy Awards, but he has genuine interest in having a bobblehead. In fact, he loves Cardinals, put on a Cardinals hat as we were talking during that interview. That was fun on Facebook Live. Joined now by Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Mosellock. I do hope for that time when we can all get back to the ballpark and celebrate together. I don't know when that is, but I will hang on to that hope when the time is right. Good morning, John Mosellock. Good morning. I certainly think we could help him get a bottle. <laughs> 
He's a great dude, and uh, I go way back with him, and I know he loves those Cardinals. In fact, he was blown away by the fact that he followed Ozzie Smith on that show. He called him one of the greatest uh, people ever to play sports in St. Louis. He's absolutely right. The iconic Ozzie Smith. Uh, what do you, let me start with uh, the Cardinals selections for the baseball, the Cardinals Hall of Fame. A couple of good ones there. And look, you can't get everybody in, and I, I wish Keith Hernandez could wear a red jacket, but Tommy Herr and John Tudor and Bill White. But I want to I want to talk about him second. But Tommy Herr and John Tudor, huge part of the '80s. And as soon as you came into St. Louis, John, I know that you had heard the stories and you knew growing up watching baseball of those Whitey Herzog teams in the 80s. Those are two big parts of the team, aren't they? Well, they were huge, really. Um, you know, you think back to, to the success they had in that decade, and, uh, you know, I think our Hall of Fame is actually capturing many of those those key members of, of what made those teams so successful. And, and to your point, uh, you're never going to satisfy everyone. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, it's just a great compliment to the history of the Cardinals because there's so many deserving players to to get this opportunity. And, you know, in time, it'll all work itself out. But, you know, when you're when you're just starting a Hall of Fame out and you're putting people in, it's it's hard to to satisfy everybody what they want. But in fairness, it is a public vote. And, um, you know, the. The voters spoke. It is. The voters spoke on the panel, the the ballot that our panel put out, the Red Ribbon panel. It's a fun process. I'm honored to be on it and to be part of it. And I'm not supposed to talk about what is said behind those doors, so I won't. But I will say what Rick Hummel wrote about because Bill White told him in the Post-Dispatch that he didn't want to be in the Hall of Fame. And he didn't think that he was worthy of Cardinals Hall of Fame status. And it was, I love this, it was Joe Torrey who talked him into it. And Joe Torre, who's as iconic as a New York Yankee manager as anything else, loves being in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, doesn't he, John? Well, he does. He takes a lot of pride with his connection to, to the Cardinals. Um, obviously, he won an MVP. But I, I think it's just, again, that what touches on the importance of, of people's impact or players' impact when they were wearing the, the birds on the bat. And, you know, you look at, at the Cardinal history and, and, you know, however you want to like carve it up year by year, decade by decade, team by team, there's always, there, there's always someone that, that made an impact, not only here in St. Louis, but really on the game in general. And, you know, someone like Mr. White getting this opportunity, I think is uh, really a compliment to, to him. And, um, you know, hopefully that, that, we can still go forward with that Hall of Fame at some point, and uh, it'll be really fun to watch. Yeah, I do hope that we can do it. I'm not sure when it will be right now. It was scheduled for late August. John Mosellock is with us. I know we continue to seemingly inch a little bit closer. It looks like there's a season on the horizon, but nothing is official, John. What do you know needs to take place at this? Well, an agreement needs to take place, but where, where, where have we advanced, if any, since we spoke last week? You know, we're certainly taking baby steps. There's no doubt about it. Um, probably the difference between last last Sunday and, and this Sunday is, is really that we now have the green light to, to open up Jupiter in a very managed way. Um, and we're hopeful to do the same in St. Louis this week. Um, still working on some, some initial protocols of what needs to take place with players. But, you know, that that's that's one step forward, hopefully. And uh, to your point, there's still a negotiation that has to happen. And uh, 
I know the people in New York are, are working uh, feverishly to, to try to get something done. And, you know, my fingers are crossed that, that we are going to get that green light to at least try. And, and uh, I think that'd be very uplifting for not only the city of St. Louis, but really for our country in general. In the meantime, the calendar is about to turn to June. And what a relief that must have been to your employees who learned that they are going to be paid through the month. And have to compliment you on a very strong move by you, by the DeWitts, and your organization, John. You'll be paying your employees through June. Look, we got a great ownership group. They're, they're certainly appreciative of what all our employees do and what they mean to the organization. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very pleased that we could do this. But, you know, Bill and, and, and Billy and, and really all the owners that, that – um, allow us to do that, it, it puts us in a unique spot. I mean, obviously some teams are going to have to make some very hard decisions here over the next uh, few days as, as June 1st approaches. But, you know, for us, we were able to secure another month. And, you know, fr- from the baseball standpoint, it's really all hands on deck as we start to prepare for the draft. And, you know, Randy Flores and his group are, are working as hard as ever. And uh, next couple of weeks will be very busy for them. And so it, it's nice that, they don't, that group doesn't have to worry about whether they're going to get paid or not. Do you have a specific area of need in your organization right now? You know, never really like to approach the draft as a need. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you have a, a, a draft of, of 40 rounds, you can try to drill a little deeper in that and say, okay, look, if we can add some catching, we should do that. But the way we sort of look at it as a whole is when you're looking at if there is something that we need to fill or backfill for, you got to remember that we have the draft, but we also have the international department. We really try to make sure that those two are in concert or working together because then we can address where we feel like we need to, to fill in. And you may remember a few years back, we really felt like we did not have a lot of uh, middle infield depth. And so we were trying to address that both domestically and international. But to answer your question, there's nothing glaring in our system. Matter of fact, our system is, is, is pretty strong given where we've been picking over the last 10 years. But, you know, I think we're going to approach this draft as really trying to get the best talent we can get, regardless of, of where they play or, or if they're left or right-handed and uh, hopefully uh, we can have a successful draft. What do we think about uh, the 2020 depth in terms of DH? I don't know that I talked to you about this last week. If they're going to go, so I, Schulte said it was okay for me to do. So I, I came up with, I said, I wrote, KMOX asked me to write, could you come up with some DH candidates over the Cardinals? Even though this isn't official yet, it's being discussed. Let's just have some fun with it. And I asked Schulte, is it okay to give you my top five? He goes, you give me whatever you want, brother. <laughs> I said, I'll, and you can just comment on the player. You don't have to say if they're DH or not. So my top five was Matt Carpenter, Ron Hell Ravello, Paul Goldschmidt. My reasoning there was if something were to happen with the elbow, you could still play him and give him a day off of throwing at first base. Maybe that was... That was just me just having some fun. Four and five were Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. I think I left off some. I know I left off some, but I kind of like those five. One of them that I'm that, that keeps tossing around in my head is Brad Miller. I mean, you brought him along to slug, didn't you? I mean, he's he's somebody that could fit that role if needed. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like, look, I think every name you just came up with is is certainly could could do that. I, I would say a couple of those guys, you know, from a defensive standpoint like like their defensive metrics actually are really good so you know putting them in the dh role you're sort of pulling away from their overall value 
but having said that, you know, I think it's going to be how Schulte wants to to manage that that lineup on any given day. But you know, look, I've never been one of those guys that's been an advocate for the DH. I think the National League brings a certain style of baseball that that's fun to watch and strategic. It's so much different than the American League. But given the circumstances. I don't think it's it's that punitive for us to go to a DH this year because I do think we have enough guys that would give you a quality at bat. Is it the traditional DH that, you know, is making five, ten, fifteen million dollars in the American League? No. But it's still uh it's still a way to enhance our lineup and so, you know, I think some of the guys you mentioned uh would lo- love the opportunity to get four plate appearances in a game versus zero. You bet. I'm a National League guy myself. Don't like the DH, but willing to take it if that's part of what brings baseball back. But we'll see. I, I'm I always appreciate you staying close with us and providing us the information. We'll of course stay close and follow this along. And we will see what happens in the coming week, John Mosalock. Thank you for the time very much. Have a great Great Sunday. All right. Thank you. Be well. You too. John Mosaloc with us on KMOX Sports on a Sunday morning. We have a huge golf event today. Huge. We'll tell you what that is. And it's the NHL coming back. That's next. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday morning. On America's Sports Voice. KMOX. Coming up at noon, game six of the 1985 NLCS. Wait, Tom, we already heard that game. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, as a matter of fact. You heard that game played last week, but we're replaying games five and six. Ozzy's Go Crazy Folks was last night. Game six, Jack Clark's home run capped it, and an amazing run for the Cardinals in 85 to the pennant. You'll hear that game, and if anything, just listen to Jack Buck and Mike Shannon calling a game together. It's absolutely beautiful, and you will hear it today starting at noon here on KMOX. Then tomorrow at 3, we're going back to Mr. Buck. Game 7 of the 1982 World Series will be played tomorrow afternoon. We've decided to add a game on Memorial Day. So 3 o'clock is when that game will start. Then at 6.15, we will have Game 1 of the 2004 NLCS, and this week we'll start playing those games at night. The 2004 NLCS. What's on the horizon? A little bit of 2019. We're going to get back into that NLDS against the Braves. And it really depends on when spring training 2.0, if that starts. But I can assure you, until you get live baseball, you're going to hear the classics here on KMOX. We are working on it. That is for sure. And we have a lot more. Remember, they won it all in 2006. Just saying. And we got a lot of stuff. (laughs) So that's on the way. Hey, did you see what's happening today in golf? So last week was Rory and DJ against Matthew Wolf and Ricky Fowler. Well, how about this star power? This is going to take place today, and it starts at 2 o'clock. Not that I would ever direct anyone away from what I just told you, which is the great classics here on KMOX. But if you want to flip it on, it'll be on TNT, all the Turner stations, TNT, True TV, TBS headline news. They're going to show Woods and Manning against Mickelson and Brady. Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning. That's one pairing against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. Live golf on TV for the second straight Sunday. The last time we saw Tiger, when's the last time we saw Tiger? February 16th. That's the last time we saw him on TV. That was at the Genesis Invitational. And remember, he was kind of He wasn't at full strength. We'll just say that. He didn't play particularly great. 
So we'll see how he is after he skipped a couple of events and he his back he had surgery on his back, so that's why he was kind of getting around a little a little rough there. So we'll see how he looks today. It's going to be at Medalist Golf Club. That's in Hobie Sound, Florida, not too far from where Tiger lives in Jupiter Island. So we had a match at Seminole last week, and just north of there, north of where the Cardinals play, it will be Medalist Golf Club. It's Tiger's home course. Back in a moment on the future of the NHL. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday morning. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. James O'Sullivan, our producer. Thanks as well to Cole Duggar behind the glass. Tom Ackerman in Studio B, downtown St. Louis. Brian Kelly for joining us at the start of the show. We also had Cardinals manager Mike Schilt and Sterling K. Brown, the award-winning actor. John Mosellock on the show as well. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, when are we going to start talking hockey again? Well, this could be getting very, very close. So here's the current situation. The NHL NHLPA executive board authorized further negotiations with the NHL over how a 24-team return to play scenario would play out. So it doesn't mean it's coming back, but the NHLPA says, yes, we want to talk some more with the league. Here's the statement from the NHLPA. The executive board of the National Hockey League Players Association has authorized further negotiations with the NHL on a 24-team return to play format to determine the winner of the 2020 Stanley Cup. The statement goes on to read, several details remain to be negotiated, and an agreement on the format would still be subject to the parties reaching agreement on all issues relevant to resuming play. Folks, this would be just like what's going on in Major League Baseball in that health, safety are very, very uh, important to all of these participants and economic, yeah, sure. I mean, the salaries, absolutely. Logistics, where they're going to play, absolutely. It's starting to become a little more clear that Vegas might be a favorite to be out west and not St. Louis as one of the hubs, but St. Louis would make a good one, and St. Louis is going to be very interested in that. The Blues, specifically, are going to be very interested in that. Back to this 24-team format. So apparently there would be a round robin to determine the top seeds. Uh, I Look, to me, the Blues would be the number one seed right now if they went to 12 teams in the West. It's funny to me if they just automatically went to started seeding them, 1 through 12. You know who's number 12? Blackhawks. Just letting you know. 1 through 4 would be St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, Edmonton. I feel good about the Blues against pretty much anybody here. No matter where they would be seeded. I would feel pretty strong about the Blues coming out of the gates as one of the better teams and ready to go for this format. But a lot still has to be determined. Can the NHL get out of the gates before the NBA and Major League Baseball? We'll see. The NBA, the latest on them, is that they're discussing possibly playing out the rest of the season at a single site, and that would be Disney World. The ESPN Wide World, Wide World of Sports Complex at Disney World, where they do have a basketball arena there. So we'll see. It's still far away, I think, from being official, but we're getting closer to live sports. Thanks for joining us. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. We have some recorded sports. Game six of the 85 NLCS next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.